welcome to the Out of the Box podcast. What a time to be on the show, to be talking about softball, to be living life. I am Gray Robertson. If you cannot, you're already hearing it. I know you can. I have hit my usual around the SEC tournament allergy season lifestyle. So I'm currently dealing with all this as I gesture to my face and nose area. And that's going to be a ton of fun. I am also, of course, joined by my healthy, fully ready to go partner, Tom Canterbury. Tom, how are you? Good. Yeah, I got my uh, got my allergy stuff out of the way a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, it, it certainly is tradition. I'll you know remember the very first uh, SEC tournament that we did together in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, Mr. Robertson was not feeling well that weekend either. It's funny. I first off, the schedule was thrown off because of rain. But so we, we did our semifinal game, I think, at 9 a.m. against Ole Miss. It was early. Yeah. I had to drive home after that, and I swear I crawled up the stairs into the house, like walked hands and knees on the floor to the stairs to go up to my room, which I crawled up, and then fell asleep for 18 hours. A real story. <laughs> wow. Yes. How about that? But you got to see Bailey Hemphill hit a walk-off homer, so or a, nine, a seventh inning home run. So that, that was good, at least. It's true. All things had happened. Tom, there's so much to discuss on this episode. We've got a big show coming up. We've got Alabama sweeping Ole Miss. We've got the SEC tournament coming up this week. We've got awards and conversations about what happened around the SEC. We've got Florida doing Florida things. As much as it bugs us, you have to respect it because – Good Lord, I've never seen a program do what they've done in the last two weeks. Like Florida has I mean, just the clutch factor is crazy. As I tweeted uh, when they hit the walk-off homer to beat Texas A&M on Sunday, if you didn't see that coming, you haven't been paying attention because I definitely thought that was going to happen. Uh, I just, it was just, it, it came down to who, who was it? Who was going to hit the walk-off homer for Florida? And uh you know, it was Eccles the first game and it was Cottrell the second game, and that's that's what they do. They trail the entire game and then win it in the seventh. That's, that's, that's how they roll. It makes them an interesting SEC tournament draw. We were talking in one of the group chats about, could Mississippi State go on a run? And I said, well, they've won all these games in a row, and Florida is literally only playing well in the seventh inning, so who knows? Yeah, just, just yeah, run, roll them in the fifth, and you don't have to worry about it, I guess. There you go. We're also going to, of course, do the FGCL corner. We're going to talk to Madison Shipman joining us. Tom, our friends are in town. We get to see people. Yeah, it was awesome. Actually, I was, uh, you know, I was out working today and on driving home, I actually drove past the Rhodes house and I think Auburn was out practicing. If somebody in orange and blue, I assume it was Auburn. All, you can see all the different tents are up, ESPN all over the place. The bubble has expanded a la WandaVision here this weekend for the SEC and the ES- and ESPN. The ESPN people will be here. Plus, our friend Tara Henry will be in town. Jen Schroeder is coming in a non-ESPN capacity. So wow. We're going we're gonna to get to see the whole gang. We don't have to give them stakes this weekend, though, right? No. Okay, good. We're saving that for OKC. Because- <laughs> right. You can get a fine steak different places in Tuscaloosa, but, yeah, that's definitely a cattleman's thing, that, and certainly that is the plan. Then we will round third. We've got bracketology, and we'll talk about some other things happening around softball. Then we will head home. We've got the SEC tournament picks. We've got maybe off the wall. I don't know. I don't really have anything. Do you have anything, Tom? No, I mean, it was another – again, you get a sweep, but it was another pretty good week. That's- the only thing I can see is just the people that could not seem to understand 
that it was the SEC record that mattered, not the overall record that mattered as far as seedings in the SEC tournament, but that type of stuff. But overall, I, I was I was pretty pretty pleased with everybody's thoughts of, of the weekend. Again, it was a really good one for Alabama, so that's always a positive. Absolutely. So we're going to swipe left off the wall, and instead, Tom, we are going to do the SEC tournament in Tuscaloosa starter pack. I did not put this in the rundown. That's my bad. Because we've got people who listen to us from all these other schools coming to our town. They're coming to our city. They're coming to our stadium. Some of these TV people are sitting in our press box. All right. Hmm. They need to know what to do and where to go this week. So we are going to present the SEC tournament in Tuscaloosa starter pack. All the places you need to hit, the haunts you need to haunt, I guess. I don't know. The food you need to eat, the drinks you need to drink, all that jazz coming up when we head home. Wow, yeah, and I hope they enjoy our press box. This kicked us out. Here's a koozie for you, maybe. We'll see. All right, let's start with this past week. Alabama swept Ole Miss, Tom, and the offense hit 470. The OBP as a team was 521. 39 hits, 25 runs. You have. I'm trying to count. There are, were seven players who hit over 400 this week. Just, I think, as we said in post game, this might be one of the best offensive runs over the last two weeks that we have ever seen in the five years we've done it together. And I know you've been here longer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. You know, you're looking at how what Alabama usually does, what they've, you know, what they their their mo, what what they are known for is pitching, and it's just been, you know, having the the lights out pitchers, whether it be you know, a, a Sorio in my, in my time, it's been an Osorio or a Fouts, a little John. And again, Montana has been awesome during these two weeks as well, but my goodness, the, the offense just producing and, and doing it not in the flashiest way. You know, there, there's only been a couple of home runs in the, in this uh, last couple of weeks, you know, not even that many extra base hits, just a lot of singles, a lot of walks being drawn, passing the baton down. I can think of there's been at least four or five innings that Alabama has sent at least nine batters to the plate and batted around. It's just, you know, just how many really... innings have the bases been loaded? Like, yeah, all of them. <laughs> right. I think there's a, in every game, there's been at least one inning that Alabama's had the bases loaded. Uh, you mentioned they're doing it in the first inning too. Uh, so they're jumping out on teams. Uh, they scored two runs in all three first innings against Ole Miss. Uh, so it's just a, a really efficient, a really well-executed offense that's rolling right now. And they're doing it without, as I said, without the power of the home runs. You know, you had the three-run homer by Tao on Sunday. But, you know, Bailey hasn't hit a homer. She's getting on base. She, she's continuing to to roll the, the lineup through. It's just been really impressive to watch. I also think it was really good to see the awards contenders kind of, you know, sign off well. You know, if this is – your last bit of evidence for why you should win an award, make it good. And we Mm -hmm. saw Bailey Hemphill lead the team in batting average, leave a team in OBP, Montana Fouts, 0.54 ERA on the week. Savannah Woodard led the team in RBIs. Now are all of them going to win awards? Probably not. That's not how it works. Do we hope so? Yeah. And did they make good cases to potentially win those awards? Absolutely. The best thing you can do before people vote for you to do anything is to leave a good impression. And certainly 
Bailey Hemphill, Montana Fouts, Savannah Woodard, and anybody else up for anything, and that includes first and second team All-SEC, did that this week because there was not a lapse anywhere. No, there was no you know, parts in the lineup. That's what happens sometimes. You know, you have the offense where – There'll be some black holes in there. There's just things, uh, and uh, you know, a speed bump throughout the lineup. Alabama didn't have that. They haven't had that in in a few weeks. They haven't had it during this entire uh, win streak. It's it's been really impressive to watch. And like you said, yeah, I think you've seen the stars really come out. Uh, Fouts has just been absolutely mowing people down. Leads the SEC by strikeouts by uh, in strikeouts by a large margin. Quite a um, bit, yes. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, and then. You know, Bailey leading in, in numerous categories that we'll go over as well. And just continuing to uh, to be just a threat where whenever they come up, if you're going to walk Bailey, which we saw Ole Miss do a lot of, Tau or Sides is going to make you pay for it. And, and Tau did that. So it's going to make some people as we get into the postseason consider their options when Bailey Hempel comes to play. Absolutely. Yeah. Kaylee Tau keeps saying, all right, you know, you want to walk Bailey? Here's the wrath that you have to face. More for me. All right. It's good to see her. And they keep being three-run homers, so that's always fun. It's interesting because Tao keeps making them pay the most after they walk Bailey when Mac is already aboard, which I always find kind of funny. Right. Yeah, that's – yeah, because a lot of times – Mac will get to second one way or another and it opens up first base. And I, oh, first base is open. Let's put a, let's put Bailey there. Oh, what good could idea. happen? What what could possibly go wrong? And Kaylee Tao, it's a three-run homer. So um, yeah, that's it's it's a really well constructed lineup as it is when everyone is producing as they are right now. So I I I would be shocked to see there be many changes to that lineup moving forward. All right, before we dive into what this team might do in the SEC tournament, Tom. I would like to get your thoughts on Ole Miss. I know you have many. This was a weirdly contentious series. Like there was a lot of drama and as my father would say, yeah, yeah. And just a lot going on that was kind of unexpected. A lot of consternation going on. Yeah, Yeah, Ole Miss was, I don't know, is is annoying the right word? They were just very in your face. Because I I used feisty on the air. Yeah. You know, it started really early with uh, Autumn Gillespie at the plate, and and she was very um, vocal when she got called out on strikes. Uh, was very vocal to the home plate umpire and vocal to some of the fans around the uh, around home plate. And it kind of just it showed in the entire team. And you know, if you're a elite team that is leading the league and is a you know top ten type team and and you act like that i kind of think of like oklahoma state in 2019 you can kind of be you can kind of get away with that but when you're finishing 500 in the league and yeah you're better than people expected but you're not you know it's not like you're in contention to host a regional it kind of it rubs it's going to rub people the wrong way and and i'll be interested to see again i didn't watch a whole lot of Ole miss i don't i can't think of a specific Ole miss game that i watched where they were on the road maybe in the in the league this year um, if they did that, if that was the way they were, if it was something about Alabama, I don't know what it was, but I was very, I was kind of surprised at, at how contentious things were. It's seemingly not just not necessary. It was like not in a situation where um, it was a really close game and, and you were, and you got hosed out of a call or something like that. It was just kind of from, from the word go um, that they were, that, that they wanted to be confrontational. Uh, the entire time so it it just it it was somewhat surprising we'll see how that if that was a 
team kind of taking cues from their coach and, and kind of, you know, adopting the personality of the coach, or if that was something that was already there and maybe that gets weeded out in the next two or three years as Jamie Traxel brings in her own players. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a very interesting thing to see moving forward. Yeah. I have nothing else to add. It's a very intriguing team to watch. I'm, I'll say this. I don't know what to expect from Ole Miss in the next three years, but I'm really excited to find out. I'm very fascinated in what that trajectory could be. And we'll see what the recruiting classes look like going forward. And and just in general, again, with Ole Miss and Alabama in particular, Ole Miss in the history of softball has beaten Alabama seven times. Total. Seven. That's including winning a series against Alabama in 2017 in Oxford. Seven. So remember that if you're Ole Miss, (laughs) I'll just say that. All right, let's look ahead. Ole Miss is on the opposite side of the bracket. So no chance for that, unless the rebels have a championship run in them, but it'll still be seven if that happens, but continue. (laughs) Right. Bada bing, bada boom. (laughs) Alabama will have the winner of Kentucky, Georgia, also on that side of the bracket, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. I feel like, Tom, if you're Patrick Murphy, you got to be pretty happy with this side of the bracket. I don't think Tennessee scares you as much when they're not immediately in your little quadrant. And, you know, Arkansas is the one of the top four that you've won a series against this year. So I feel like this is setting up for a decent run for Alabama. We'll make our picks later, but – you know, I think it's a favorable draw for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good matchup because you you either face in your first matchup a team in Georgia that you, you handled pretty easily in Athens a couple weekends ago if they're able to pull an upset, or you face Kentucky, uh, the, the team that you lost on the road to in, in two out of three in that series. Um, but I still think a team that, that you think that you're as good, if not better than, and, and then you can kind of use that a little bit as, as, uh, as a little bit of incentive of getting, getting revenge for what happened in Lexington, because I, you could definitely make the argument that that weekend in Lexington cost Alabama, the sec championship. Uh, so you can kind of rectify that right out the gates. I also think it's fun. Remember the last time Kentucky and Georgia met? I mean, we saw oh, yeah. some fireworks in Lexington, that a series that Georgia won. So we'll see. And Georgia is two out, two out of the last fifteen, and yeah. their two and their two wins are against Oklahoma and Tennessee. What? Sure, sure, <laughs> right. sure, sure. And then, but then I think it was right before that started was that three game series against Kentucky. So it's weird how. They they got two out of three, and then kind of you know the rail the wheels came off right after that. Anything else you want to touch on, Tom? Before we put it in play, just I I think it's very impressive, and I think it's noteworthy to mention for Alabama that they are playing as well as they are right now, as shorthanded as they are. Uh, you know, we, we're getting to we'll, we'll find out what the final as the reevaluations go as far as, as far as the COVID part, protocol for this week in the SEC tournament. Uh, but Alabama getting a three-game sweep over a top 25 team in Ole Miss uh, with literally two pinch hitters and basically no relief pitchers. It was the starters had to go the, the entire way uh, because of the six players being held out for COVID contact tracing protocols. I, I think it's really a testament to this team and what they're able to do. They've faced adversity so much throughout the entire year with the you know season-ending injuries to two of their main players extended injuries to a couple others 
And just this was kind of one of those other ones. All right, we've dealt with everything else. Here comes another shot. Yeah, we made it almost the entire way through the season without any COVID issues. Here's one right here at the end and Alabama coming through uh, so well. I, I think that it definitely is worth noting how well Alabama played this weekend despite all the, all the issues. I think a lot of credit goes to the coaching staff and goes to the players. And, and I mean, of course, the players. But, you know, Patrick Murphy issued them a challenge, and they took it personally. And you know what that reminds me of, Tom? The 2019 team that took everything personally. So, you know, if they feel slighted ever, we've seen what happens when they answer those calls. I like the results and the potential results that could come in this postseason if they feel slighted by anything going forward. Which is one of the other things that I've, I've mentioned before with these uh, awards that are going to be announced for the SEC. Again, I don't think the individual players, I don't think Montana Fouts plays to be SEC pitcher of the year. Uh, she's out there playing for a team. Uh, Bailey Hempel the same way. I don't think she's trying to win player of the year. But if they put up the numbers they put up and don't win it, uh, I would be fine to see Montana Fouts pitching with a chip on her shoulder. Bailey Hempel coming to the plate. So, oh, you don't think I'm the best player in this conference? Okay, we'll see what happens. Just stir the pot a little bit. Mm. Typically, Alabama does pretty well after the pot is stirred. <laughs> I don't know. What is this, a cookout or a podcast? I don't mm. know I'm here for either. I will do both if we must. We are outside at the SEC tournament, so. Sure. <laughs> Why not? We might have a crawfish broil while we're at. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, Tom, for the second week in a row, literally all options are on the table. Who are we? Well, we, we mentioned Bailey already, so I, I think we need to uh, also point out Alexis Mack and what she's doing, you know, setting the table for everyone. I think she took back the team lead in batting average on Sunday from Bailey. Uh, impressive Bailey and Bill had the lead <laughs> anyway, but I, I think we, we need to point out and recognize Alexis Mack. All right, we're Alexis Mack. We're running up in the box and then laying down a perfect bunt that the defense can do nothing about. If they want to throw it over the first baseman's head, that's fine too. They've done that too. Rush it, rush it, get out of system, ruin everything for yourself. That's cool. We're mm -hmm. just going to speed on around except this time because we're just advancing to first. And when we come back, we will break down everything in the sec, all that went down, including Florida doing Gator things. And yes, we will talk about the awards and what we would do ourselves and what we think will happen. There is a difference in that sentence that's coming up here on the Out of Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of Box podcast. Sickly Gray Robertson is here with you. Tom Canterbury on the other side of the screen. We're advancing to first here on the Out of the Box podcast. We got to talk about what happened in the SEC. Tom, Florida has done it again. Walk off in game one, Charlotte Eccles. Walk off in game three, Julia Cottrell. Domination in game two. Now hear this, partner. The last six times Florida and Texas A&M have met in Gainesville. Three of them have ended on walk-off home runs by the Gators. How is that possible? This is Florida doing Florida stuff. I don't think you can make the argument that Florida is like playing super well because A&M was in control for most of the series. But I got to credit Tim Walton and that team. They just find ways to win. And I think it's another example of, you know, a, a team who's been there before showing why they have been there before. 
you know, learning how to win and finishing games is a skill. It is something that, yeah, some people have that, you know, the quote unquote clutch gene and they're, you know, if they come up that they'll be clutch, but when entire teams have it, then that is something that, that is taught. That is something that is, that is learned and, and coached. So yeah, I agree with you. You got to give Tim Walton and his coaching staff a lot of credit creating that atmosphere and that type of a, a program that comes through in those situations. And, you know, when we talk about the fact that nobody other than Alabama and Florida have won the SEC since 2008 and now Arkansas gets a share and they get to join in that conversation. Mm -hmm. But the reason why is because those teams know how to win that those, those are the type of things that those teams do. And, uh, and Florida has done it. And especially to Texas A&M, my goodness, that is, uh, was one of the, does that date back to the, uh, the super regional in, oh, yeah. in Gainesville? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. That's even worse. Just that's even, Oh gosh. Having been unfortunately on the other end of a super regional in, in Gainesville myself, I understand how that goes, but um, we didn't lose it on a walk-off at some point. It's almost better to not to, to just for the game to be over before it gets to the seventh inning. And, and, and you'd not think you got a chance. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's even better, but I hate it for A&M hate it for Arkansas. I mean, you, you got to know that, you know, the Razorbacks were watching that series saying, come on, A&M, just one, just finish it one just time. Two more outs. That's it. Uh, Golly. Nah, Joe Evans needs to hire a shaman just to walk around KSP and, and exact <laughs> all the demons. I mean, do the dance mm. with the sage, do it all. Just, just fix it. I, I don't like, how does that happen? Cause it's not, it's not like it's the same pitcher or it's the same. It's not the same batters. It's totally different people. Mm. And every time just poor, poor Texas a Mm. mm. There are actually a lot of sweeps in the conference this week. Don. Maybe the most surprising came in Starkville. Mississippi State, Tom, do we need to reevaluate things? Is Mississippi State, like, good? What's going on? The, the Mississippi State that I thought was going to be here from the beginning of the season decided to show up in the last two weeks, basically. basically. Can we call it the Mississippi state Assance? Is that... Like, you you could if you want to a lot of letters but i'll give it is it is a mouthful and uh you know that words with fewer syllables trip me up a lot of the time so i will i will avoid it but that being said george is not playing well right now at all no so i mean mississippi state took advantage of a a, a scuffling bulldogs of georgia uh coming in there but that's i mean that that's what you got to do so mississippi state went from being like squarely in that 12-13 matchup, all the way to the 8-9 matchup with how they played here in the last couple of weeks. So I, I think you got to give Samantha Ricketts and, and that entire program a lot of credit for, you know, not folding the tents when things were not going well. When you start out 0-13 in the conference, things are not going well. That's that's my, my analysis there for Mississippi State. And my goodness, they have really turned things around. You know, Annie Willis, Emily Williams, they've been pitching better. The offense has been more consistent. But, I mean, it, it is to me the pitching that really sticks out. Here are the number of runs allowed during the seven-game win streak. Two, one, one, two, 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 three. That's about what I expect from Annie Willis and Emily Williams. They're not going to shut out teams. But they can hold them to one or two when they pitch well. And you just expect the offense and hope the offense can get – three, four, or five, and Mississippi State's been doing that. That's the formula. 
And, uh, oh, it's working right now. And, and it makes them a very interesting team in the SEC tournament. We'll get to it later. But an Egg Bowl matchup to start things off. Remember, SEC play began with Ole Miss sweeping Mississippi State. So a chance for revenge. Yeah, so it will be, it'll be interesting to see how revenge plays a factor in some of these matchups, and it's certainly one of them. And I would certainly say that Mississippi State is playing much better than Ole Miss is right now. Uh, so they have all the momentum, uh, a chance to get the revenge, and then uh, a chance to see Mississippi State, who, if they are able to advance, um, they a team that seems to give Florida some trouble, even when the Gators are really good. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens if that mm-hmm. matchup does does come to be. But you got to think that Mississippi State is playing some of the best softball of anybody right now in this conference. Mississippi State has become that team all of a sudden that you don't want to see in regionals which is like the exact opposite of what we were saying a couple weeks ago (laughs) yeah two weeks ago we were discussing whether or not mississippi state should be in the tournament at all period and and now they're not only in they're a you know a a two seed you don't want to see or a high three seed you definitely don't want to see speaking of seeds you don't want to see we were interested in missouri tennessee because somebody was getting that by And by golly, Tom, it went to our friend Larissa Anderson. Missouri winning two of three in Knoxville. They win the last two. Great pitching performances. And the offense got to Ashley Rogers in game three, a 5-3 victory for Missouri after the Tigers were one hit in game one. So Missouri finishes the year in SEC play, sitting at 15-9. and That's kind of about, I think, what we thought that team would be capable of with a pitching it's, staff that is by committee and an offense that can hit on any pitcher in the country. It's what we thought is, but it's not what a lot of other people thought as the, you know, that it, they Missouri has certainly outplayed the preseason projections for them in general. One of those teams that, you know, we've talked about it from the beginning that they're, they're, they're a scary team. They had a lot to do with, uh, why Arkansas is having to share this championship and not and not claiming it outright, winning two out of three over the Razorbacks. Them having that type of ability, another team that can beat anybody any given day. I don't want to play Missouri if I'm anyone, really, because right. you can shut them down, yes, but it's hard to shut them down multiple times, and I think that's what's going to make Missouri a very intriguing Super Regionals team. When we get to that point, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume they're going to make it, but we'll wow. see. Yeah, because they may not be the best in a single elimination scenario. It may not, you know, so the SEC tournament might not be the one to, to jump on the Missouri bandwagon for, but in a double elimination like a regional or a super regional, uh, that may be more of what they're, uh, what they're built, built for. Anything you want to throw in about Tennessee? I think Tennessee is, they're not Kentucky level. But they are an enigma. They're 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 a hard to figure out team. They're, they're very inconsistent. A team that you know, if Rogers gets hot, you could get behind them and they and going on a run. But at the same time, they could easily be be one and done here this week and and one or two and gone in regionals. Like I, it depends on what their matchup is. Uh, I certainly would not put them through the super regionals right now until I see what that matchup is. Yeah, Rodgers finishes the year nine and seven in conference play. Good, good ERA, good strikeouts, but the record is, you know, right. it's tough. Moving on, speaking of sweeps, we've already covered two of them. How about this one, Tom? South Carolina gets swept. 
by Kentucky. The Enigmas actually do what they're supposed to do and win all three against a bad team. South Carolina, they tried to win that third game. Didn't happen. <laughs> mm. Yeah, dug themselves too big a hole. And, hey, look who's going to finish last in the SEC. The South Carolina Gamecocks come in last, 500. It'd be interested to see. You know, they, they waive the rule this year as far as you have to be 500 to make the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think, it, you know, if that rule, even with that rule waived, it's going to be very, very dicey for South Carolina to make the NCAA. They might, need, they might need to win a game or two in Tuscaloosa this week for that to happen. I don't know what has happened to make you think that's a possibility. I am not holding my breath. You know, it's interesting – I'm looking at some of the stats. Overall in the year, team ERA of 379. The most innings any pitcher threw was 80 and two-thirds. They just didn't have an arm they could trust. And, you know, you saw that coming, coming into the year. I agreed with you at the time, but, man, it it just – it unraveled very quickly. That pitching staff was, at the end of the day – the biggest problem with that team. Yeah, it certainly was. There wasn't a, not just one, but anybody that you could really trust uh, to throw extended innings. You, you were relying on a couple of And that's people. not to say they're bad. I mean, Leah Powell no. went in and, and beat Florida. Sure. But you can't trust them more than, you know, once in a weekend. Right. And, and, you, and you were relying on a couple of players uh, who had some injury issues and had those injury issues for extended periods of time. So just expecting somebody like an O to, to, to return to her 2018 form, I think was, was asking too much. And then, you know, you lost your best player in Johns and um, it just, it, it, it was not a recipe for success to begin with. Again, they do have talent on that team. They were good enough to beat Florida once, um, but just very, very inconsistent. You weren't going to be able to trust them. Final series to talk about LSU in the Battle of the Tigers takes two of three over Auburn. My only thought, I'm surprised the one game Auburn won was the Maddie Pinta game. I'm surprised Auburn scored nine runs in a conference yeah. game. Like, how? But, you know, overall, we both picked LSU 2-1 to win the series. I think the full weekend, when you look at it from start to finish, kind of went about as we expected. Yeah, I think so. Like, like I said, I was really surprised it was kind of a slugfest. Auburn's victory like how did that happen (laughs) I was at a banquet and I looked at the score and said wait it's it's nine five what's going on yeah it was very very weird I think that it says a little bit more about still issues with LSU you kind of thought maybe that they they were that they had a lot of starts and stops this year um, and they can never sustain momentum they were you know, you, you, you got a couple big wins and then you thought, well, maybe here's where they take off, but they can never keep that going. And with a team whose strength was to be their pitching staff, uh, their question marks are on more of their pitching staff than anything right now at LSU. So that, that is what concerns me about them moving into the postseason play. It makes LSU maybe the most fascinating team in the entire country going into the postseason because we have seen the potential. We know the potential. This is an LSU team that I still think could go on a run to win a national championship. They have that much talent, but that would require everything to come together. And there is zero evidence that suggests that'll happen. Now it still could. I don't think it will, but 
this is a team with so much good on the roster that it's perplexing as to why it has been so stop and start, like you said, Tom, this year. Yeah, very, very odd. They've just, you know, sometimes, you know, it's chemistry. It's, uh, you know, just things not coming together like like you were hoping. And, you know, this might have been the fate for Alabama last year had the entire season gone because I've seen a lot. I think there's a lot of similarities between the way this year has gone for LSU and the way it went, Alabama's went uh, for the, you know, part the abbreviated part of the season before things got shut down in 2020. You know, we we both – and still, I think, stand by it that we thought Alabama was about to take off after the beating Arkansas in that last series of 2020. But that could have been a, you know, Texas-type series for LSU where you thought, all right, here we go, and then they, they kind of come back down. So it's just a lack of consistency despite the talent. Yeah, they could put it together, but I, I'm not really thinking that's going to happen. I am not – fully on board with an LSU national championship <laughs> run. Let's just say that. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I will, I will, I will hold off on that one. If we're having a diving catch in center field contest, yes, they're going to win that. But sign me up. If we're having a take all the pitches in the seventh inning contest, sign me up for LSU. Boom. That they, they will if that was the name of the game, they would be champions of the world. But that is not what's happening right now. Let's move on to SEC awards. Tom, this is a very interesting year because I don't think we actually know what's going to happen. Last year, in 2019, we had an idea, right? I mean, Abby Cheek was the front runner. Sarah Cornell had made a late break, but it made sense. We talked about it. We both agreed on the air. We thought Sarah Cornell was going to win. Freshman of the year, Montana Fouts, like we said that in before the year. Like right. all, all of these awards in 2019 were pretty easy. This year, I feel like it's much more interesting. I do want to get one thing out of the way. People, the SEC awards are decided based on SEC stats. I put a tweet out yesterday and I had people in my mentions saying, you're not picking Kayla Kowalik for player of the year. She's hitting over 500. I'm sorry. She is not. She's hitting 476. It's a great average. I had Kowalik, great, yeah. yeah, I had Kowalik all year long. Tom, you can back me up on that. Mm-hmm. Even when people were moving to Bailey earlier than I was, I was still on team Kowalik. But I put him pill ahead because of the batting average number. Bailey is now first in SEC play batting average. Stop telling me Kowalik's hitting over 500. She's not. She's hitting under 500 in SEC play, which is the statistic and the area of statistics that the coaches will look at and have already looked at. We can confirm the awards are already in and we're they're going to be announced tomorrow, probably as you're listening. That's what they're looking at. SEC play stats, not overall stats. And, and to clarify on that, we don't know what the results are. We just we have no idea. We just know that they're in. Yes. Yeah. We don't know. Right. I'm, because then I'm going to sound like an idiot, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> wow. for the first time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, wow, they knew what the winners were, and they're, and they're picking the wrong people. It, it, it seems to be a point of contention that people don't understand and that it is. It's only based on what happens in the SEC uh, stats-wise. Now, that being said, if someone played their non-conference schedule the way that Burnside played their non-conference schedule, they're going to at least they, – they have a head start. That's going to be in their mind. That's in that. So it's not like, you know, it's inconsequential, everything that happens non-conference. But if they're just looking at stats, the only stats that apply are SEC games. 
All right, so let's let's run through this real quick. We're going to give a should win and will win for all these awards. Tom, you start. Player of the year. Bailey Hemphill should win it. I think – I keep going back and forth because I think we've talked about it. It depends on who wins pitcher of the year because uh, yeah. I don't think they're going to give it all to the same team. But thinking what, how I think they're going to end up going with pitcher, I think Bailey's going to win it. I think Bailey Hemphill will win. You know, again, fifth-year senior that's having the type of year that she's having – the scariest the scariest single batter in this conference bailey should and i think bailey hemphill will win player of the year i am going to agree with you bailey hemphill should bailey hemphill will i i was actually kind of you know thinking maybe braxton burns i would have a late break and then i saw she hit 286 in sec play and i'm sorry i don't want to live in a world where the sec player of the year hit under 300 I, you can have all the home runs you want but you got to yeah. be able to be consistent and Braxton Burnside was not. Kowalik is an excellent candidate. I hope she wins at NCAA Player of the Year. She's one of the top 10 finalists. She deserves that very much. She's had a great overall year. Hempill just was better. Like, by this much, I'm, there's not much room between these fingers that I'm holding up. But Hempill was ahead in a lot of categories and passed Kowalik in the other categories in which she trailed. And I think that makes Hempill the deserving winner for SEC Player of the Year. And even if if she hadn't have passed her in a couple of those other categories, I do think that how your individual team finishes, unless you are far and away the winner in all the categories, where your team finishes matters. And Kentucky finished middle of the pack. Alabama finished a game away from winning the SEC championship. Uh, I think that will that will also give Bailey a little bit of a, a leg up. All right, Tom, pitcher of the year. Who should win? Who will win? Montana Fouts should win it. I think she is, you know, if you had to pick anybody in the SEC and say you have you have one person to pitch for a game that your life depends on, I would take Montana Fouts. Uh, she is the most dominant pitcher. She leads the SEC by strike in strikeouts by a large margin. She had a little bit of a dip in the, you know, week three, four, when the, when the series in Lexington happened. Um, but she, after that point, she really turned things on has been as dominant as I've ever seen her here in the last, uh, during this win streak, if no, if not further than that. So I think Montana Fouts is the best pitcher in the sec. Montana Fouts absolutely should win this award. And I hope she does. I just yeah, don't think she will. Um, yeah. But I think she should, like you said, the strikeout. She's fifth in the SEC in conference play ERA. She's tied for first in wins against the pitcher that I think will win, which is Mary Half. And Montana Fouts does have one head-to-head directly win over Half and then another where Half came in in relief. But either way, I think Mary Half is going to win this. And I think the only reason I have to say why is narratives, you know, I track all these TV and movie awards. Why do certain movies win the Oscar because of their narrative? And I think Mary Half's got a good narrative right now. I think the coaches are going to want to reward somebody from Arkansas besides Courtney Diefel. And uh, I think that person will be Mary Half. I also just don't think that the team that didn't win the conference is going to win the two biggest awards in the SEC. Um, Montana Fouts deserves it. I think Mary Half's going to win it. I kind of agree. I think that, you know, Arkansas is going to have to win something uh, outside, you know, somebody's going to win something player wise. And if Burnside doesn't win player of the year, then I think probably win, win the pitcher, but Montana should win it. Montana should win it. Yeah. 
must, I mean, it, it won't be as much of a miscarriage of justice as it was for the National Freshman of the Year in, 20, uh, in 2019. It would certainly register on the farcical meter for Montana not to win this thing. Do you, do you feel the arrow twitching a bit, Tom? There's some movement. There is some movement. It's a bummer, but here's the thing. It's all political. And the other thing with awards, nobody wants to give everything to one team and one movie. They do try and spread it around, which, right. uh, which is a bummer, but that's the way it goes. SEC Freshman of the Year. Who should win it? Who will win it? I think Laird should and will. I agree. Wow. And a Laird. Let's go. Like the quietest, best player in the league, I think. Like no one is talking about Jenna Laird and her stats are phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, I could see someone like a Coffle from Kentucky uh, make, make a push at it, but it's, it's been interesting that, you know, maybe a low from Auburn, but there hasn't been a lot of really big talk about the true freshmen this year. Some of that is we haven't seen as many true freshmen playing because of the expanded rosters, uh, but that there, there hasn't been that one, you know, far and away best player as a freshman like Montana was in 2019. Yeah, Laird, Laird not getting as much publicity, but I think she's put up the best numbers. Newcomer of the year. Who should win it? Who will win it? I'm going to do a <laughs> slash. I think both Taylor Pleasance at LSU and Julia Cottrell should win it. Like they, they both have great cases. And I'm going to lean Cottrell because Florida – also shared this sec title and they're going to need something the coaches are going to say you know florida didn't just get there magically and if we can't right. honor the rest of the team we might as well honor cottrell so i think julia cottrell is going to be the newcomer of the year i think had she been able to pitch toward you know in the last month i think lexi kilfoyle would have been either the should be or would be winner of mm -hmm. this thing yeah, I think she was midway through the conference slate. She was definitely the, the winner. Uh, but, yeah, I think just, you know, lack of being able to play the last few weeks, I think, will we'll knock her out of it. Uh, Savannah Woodard for Alabama also has made a, a really late run at it. I think she'll certainly will get on the newcomer team, uh, if not if not make win the award. But I actually think Pleasance has done enough to, oh. uh, to win it. So I, I think Pleasance is going to win this thing. Okay. Uh, which I think will fit into the narrative for Florida that it did just kind of happen magically. It, it did just kind of just be, happen because they're Florida. They didn't have anybody. I mean, and which is not true. Obviously they have some really good players. Uh, I, I think Pleasance is going to get this award. SEC coach of the year. Courtney Dyfel should and would. Yeah. Uh, again, we, we kind of talked about it in the mid season. There were other, there were ways for other people to, to come up and win it, but with the narrative, with the fact that Arkansas went from being a winless team in this conference when she got there to, you know, winning a share of the title, um, I don't see any chance it goes anybody other than Courtney Dyfel. My coach of the week winner is Samantha Ricketts, but yeah, sure. coach of the year is Courtney Dyfel, and it's not close. There might be one more vote for someone else because Courtney Dyfel can't vote for herself. Right. Now, that being said, I would – make the argument depending on how the rest of the, the postseason goes this has been the best coaching job of patrick murphy's career at alabama i'm here for it again the all the adversity that alabama has gone through name another team that could lose its two starting middle infielders and play better after it happened a team that has dealt with all this adversity and 
come up better on the other side. You know, a player like Bailey Hemphill that, you know, has been stuck on 58 career home runs trying to catch Kelly Kretschmann with 60 at Alabama for seemingly five months um, (laughs) because she can't get a pitch to swing at, but remains disciplined enough to not make, you know, not give the other team outs when they're trying to give you bases. Just the, the, the mindset of this team has been so impressive and, you know, again, the, the coach of the year award isn't always, it's kind of the, you know, the Nick Saban effect football, he should win coach of the year every year in college football, but he's not going to, because that's not how these awards work. Uh, Patrick Murphy's kind of that same, same group and the adversity Alabama face. So somebody say, well, cry me a river river. You still have great players even with the ones that are injured. Well, yeah, but there's still, that's not how the team is constructed and to be able to change it on the fly, like he has been able to do and create what we both agree has been the best lineup that we've seen. Uh, I I think you could definitely make the case as the best coaching job overall, Patrick Murphy's career. There were complaints about the offense early on, and we both agreed they were valid. You know, I I didn't like the way all the complaints were being said, but I thought issues arose and there were things to nitpick. Conference play is over, and here are some of the statistical categories in which Alabama leads as a team in SEC play. Batting average, on-base percentage, runs, and hits – they're also up there in walks. They're very low in strikeouts, 12th in the SEC. Just the numbers speak for themselves. We're statistical are, people. We think like that. Are, are you saying Alabama learned to hit, Greg? It appears they did. <laughs> and that you should uh, allow seasons to play themselves out and allow players to improve and mature as the season goes along instead of making a snap judgment of the entire team and season based on maybe one or two bad games in March. Well, Tom, why don't we do a little awarding of our own and take a small slice that later will be a piece of a big pie when we do our end of the year FGCL player of the year. But I think it's time to award an FGCL player of the week. What do you think? Well, now I'm just thinking about pie. What's your favorite kind of pie while we're on the topic? Uh, A good apple pie. Can't, Can't beat a good apple pie. Is a chocolate pie, is that like cheating? Mine would be chocolate pie. No, I mean, no, chocolate pies are good. I'm down with that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, are you yay or nay pumpkin pie? I'm actually yay pumpkin pie. I'm nay sweet potato pie, which is weird. I know it, it sounds kind of, but I, I just don't like sweet potatoes. I am as pro pumpkin pie as it gets. Give them to me year round. It doesn't have to be November. I'll eat right. one right now. I don't care. I would drink eggnog right now. Like, why do we have to wait to December and Christmas for eggnog? I, I, right now, give it to me. The seasonal rules are just absolutely ludicrous. But either way, back to the piece of the segment that is important, and that is the FGCL Player of the Week. Are you ready, Tom? So, sorry, you mentioned food, and I got off on a tangent. Go ahead. Go, go with something else. Wouldn't be the first time. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Our six nominees for FGCL Player of the Week. We start with Jenna Green, Presbyterian, 15 innings, seven hits, three runs, all earned, seven walks, and 20 strikeouts. Good. Please welcome back Meryl Streep, a.k.a. Mac Leonard, <laughs> Illinois State. Five for 12 at the plate, four RBIs, a home run, a strikeout, three runs scored, and she got one start on the weekend against Valparaiso, seven innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. That's how she does it. Mm-hmm. How about Kayla Howell Campbell, 
four and two thirds, two hits, three runs, all earned, one walk and two strikeouts. But she's on the list because against Presbyterian, she came in game two of their weekend series. Howell came in and threw the last three and a third, allowing zero hits to secure the victory for Campbell and secure the Big South title. Championship winning performances get get a pretty good bump in this, in my opinion. So we'll, we'll see yeah. if that puts her in the final two. Paris Woods from Syracuse, six for 13, two RBIs, a home run, two strikeouts and a run, scored all that coming against Clemson this weekend. Devin Flaherty, Florida State, six for 11, five RBIs, three doubles, a walk, three strikeouts, and three runs scored. Those all coming against Pitt. You know what's not an upset? Haley Lee popping up on this list again at a Texas A&M. <laughs> Even in a sweep against Florida, she went five for eight with a double, three walks, a strikeout, and two runs scored. So Mer- Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks both making their appearances here this weekend uh, for the FGCL Player of the Week. That's right. So now you get to pick two, Tom. What do you say? Oh, these are some really, uh, there's some solid candidates. I am going to go, uh, got to get the camel in there. I'm going to go Kayla Howell uh, as one, again, securing a championship. And I believe I am going to go, uh, she threw a one hitter in addition to what she did at the plate. So I'll go Mac Leonard as my other finalist. Wow. Are we going with the three-time player of the week selection or the player who secured a championship that's your call partner i'm going to go with the champion although i will say mac leonard on a team that also won a championship this week congrats to illinois state the missouri valley champions but kayla howell you know to come on in relief she has been on the list a couple times and been Close to being on a nominee, but uh, but didn't make the final ballot. She finally did this week, and it was because of three and a thirds hitless softball as they tried to win a title. So congrats to the Camels. Congrats to Campbell. Congrats to Kayla Howell, the FGCL Player of the Week. Well done. Well done, everyone. And again, all six, I had excellent, excellent weekends. Absolutely. Good list. Good list, everyone. Good, good list. Well done. Well done all the way around. Well, what do you say we put on the burners, Tom, and try and take second? Sounds good. I will run like my nose is currently all the way to second as quickly as I can. (laughs) (laughs) He being my way to second base. Uh, (laughs) Deep cut. That's a deep cut. And all the jokes right now in case this is the final time I'm able to talk for the next 24 hours. (laughs) Got to get it out. Yeah. What do you say we steal second? Let's do it. Talk to our good friend. Yes, Greenlight Guys on the way. It's time to steal second. When we come back, Madison Shipman will be here. The Lady Vol, she is in the state of Alabama. She is in Tuscaloosa. We will be within eyesight of her at some point this week, and that'll be as close as we get. That conversation is coming up next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
the Out of the Box Podcast. Glad you're with us. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, and Madison Shipman joining us here for the stealing second portion of the show. Madison Shipman from the SEC Network, from the Tennessee Lady Vols, one of our favorite opponents in SEC history. Also, you're going to see her a lot this week at the SEC tournament. She is in Tuscaloosa right now. She hopefully brought Rice Krispies, maybe. Madison, how are you? I, I will say they are on their way. I figured if I brought them too soon, then they were going to be all bad by the time I actually got to see you guys. So they are on their way up the next couple of days because uh, my sister playing for Tennessee and my parents are coming that way. So they will be making their way to the Rhodes house. So I did not forget about you guys. Sweet. Well, that, well, you have to like throw them to us since none of us can get within like 300 feet of anybody. Yeah, I have not figured out the logistics of how i'm going to get it to you guys but we will we will cross that bridge when we get there i'll bring my glove that's (laughs) (laughs) there you go there you go all right before we dive into the tournament though madison we have to talk about last week florida just i don't know how they keep doing this so in columbia hannah adams has the miraculous top of the seventh home run to steal a game you could argue they, you know, swiped away game one as well. They were able to put up five runs in that game after Jordan Weber had shut them down the entire night. And then against Texas A&M, two walk-offs adding to that rivalry. Florida splits the SEC championship with Arkansas. How did the Gators pull this off? Well, I think even going back to my playing days, when you were playing a team, uh, when you were playing Florida or you are playing Alabama, you knew you were going to get a couple of things. One of them was going to be solid defense. And the other one was solid pitch. Make the games against the Gators specifically hard because you think as an opponent, okay, we're going to have to go in there and play perfect. And I think where the Gators take advantage of that is when these teams are up in the late innings, all of a sudden those teams get a little bit tighter and they start playing not to lose. And when you play not to lose, you don't have that attack mentality. You don't have that hunt mentality. So all of a sudden, even as a pitcher, maybe miss a pitch right over the heart of the plate rather than hitting your spots on the outside part of the zone. Or as a defender, you try to make it too perfect and you end up booting a ball. So it's little things like that that I think Coach Walton has always done a great job uh, of teaching his teams how to win. So they don't tense up in those pressure type of situations. When you look at this team specifically for this year, they've had several close games. So they've been in close games all year long, and now it just seems like it's walk-off city for the Gators. But that's why they're able to take advantage of it, because they do not tense up, and they thrive in those pressure type of situations. Ask you about another team in the SEC that is playing. You know, Alabama has the longest win streak right now in the SEC, but this team with the second longest win streak right now, what has happened? Mississippi State has come out of nowhere. They, I tell you what, I've gotten the opportunity to call them throughout the season. So I got to call them when they still had not won a game in the SEC. And then I actually got to call them this past weekend against uh, Georgia. So when you're looking at this squad and you're looking at the stats and even back in the middle of the season, I'm going, how is it that they have not won a game yet? How, like, how, how have they not? Because they've been able to put up runs. Um, even talking to Coach Walton, he said one of their toughest series all year long was against Mississippi State. Now they ended up sweeping them. Um, But then you look at their scores against Arkansas. Annie Willis struck out, I believe, 12 batters on game one. Um, And and so you look at some of these bits and pieces, and for them it was just finally being able to put it together. And I think once they got that win at Texas A&M, it was like a huge relief off of their shoulders because they have some big-time hitters in that lineup where it's Chloe Malaulu right there at the top 
Fale Lua, of course, uh, Mia Davidson, um, and even Carter Spexarth has really stepped up for them all season long. But I think it's just relieving that pressure. They finally got that first win, and now they can go out there, play free, and that's why they continue to be so successful. And not to mention their pitching staff has done phenomenal over the past couple of games. I think their team ERA like up until their win streak was right around four or five and they've dropped that down to like 2.1 or something. So right, that right there is going to make a big difference when your pitching staff's able to limit the runs. So then your team can go out there and, and score. I'll ask about the other team. Georgia has lost 13 of 15. The two wins were at Tennessee against Ashley Rogers and Oklahoma help it make sense. Well, so now I will say never count Georgia out because they are that team that is notorious for stepping up in the postseason. I think we saw a glimpse of that against that Oklahoma squad, giving them their first loss. So I think that's something that we can't forget about. But when I look at their team and I look at their at that specifically, because when I'm looking at a team, what's their strength for Georgia? It's definitely up at the plate. And I think the, the two series that you mentioned, they just swung out of the zone, even against Mississippi State. Uh, Emily Williams is, for Mississippi State is a pitcher that has a lot of spin on her ball. She likes to move it all through the zone. They were swinging aggressive early in the count at pitcher's pitches. And you want to be aggressive early in the count, but at, at uh, pitches that as a hitter, you can drive out of the park, not just get little dink base hits. So I think that that's kind of where they've fallen off here towards the end of the season is starting to swing out of the zone. And maybe it's trying to press a little bit because they know, hey, we need to win these ball games. So again, it comes to the mentality of an approach of a batter up there to not go up there with the pressure of the world on your shoulders, uh, have a game plan and stick to that game plan and attack in that game plan. So I think if they can do those things, we might start to see that Georgia team that we saw beat Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago. I want to ask you about Alabama specifically. And we were talking about SEC awards last segment and we both, you know, Courtney Diefel is going to win SEC, you know, coach of the year, yeah. but I, but I think you could make the argument that this year is the best job Patrick Murphy has done in his career at Alabama to be able to maintain and improve this team as the season's gone along, despite all the, all the setbacks that have happened, the injuries and everything else that's gone on here in 2021. Uh, just your thoughts about Alabama overall and Patrick Murphy's uh, coaching job here this year. Well, I agree with you 100%. And I think that that's a team culture that Pat Murphy has cultivated from his start at Alabama. They were always that team that was so supportive of their teammates. And you can just tell, like, when somebody came off the bench to even get a, a pinch hit sacrifice bunt, the whole dugout just erupted. So I think that that is a team culture that he has built year after year after year. And this year, they have embraced that next man up mentality. And I can't give enough kudos to people like Taylor Clark and Savannah Woodard, who, of course, need to fill in those spots defensively at short and second base. But how about Savannah Woodard coming through with clutch RBI this past weekend? I mean, I think she had two RBI in two of the three games, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's somebody that's more, you know, at the bottom of their lineup that's been able to come through. But I think this team specifically, when you look at them as a whole, the power numbers aren't going to jump off the page, as maybe we've seen in a previous team. But I think they know who they are, and they're just going to go out there, and they're going to get base hit after base hit after base hit after base hit. And all of a sudden, you look up at the score, and you're losing 5 nothing, And you're going to get solid pitching in the circle because Montana Fouts, the stat I love about her is that she gets better as the weekend goes on. In her first appearance, her ERA is like a 1.8, and then you look to her second appearance in the weekend, and it's like well below 1. So to me, that's somebody who is studying the film, 
who is learning and constantly getting better. Those are the things that you like to see out of a team. And that's why I think that they've done so well this year, despite those injuries. And I think it's one of those situations where you know, both Mississippi State, Alabama, teams like that, it, it's important to remember that you're taking a look at the season as a whole. And because I think so many times we get into if somebody has a bad week or, you know, it's like, well, this seems not any good, but you got to remember it's March. And so, you know, you're looking forward to what's going to happen in April and May. And uh, the best teams, you know, kind of hit their stride at this time and not maybe, you know, maybe they weren't, you know, world beaters in February and March, but they really hit their stride toward the postseason. Sorry, you cut out there for a second, but I, but I think you're talking about the, the seasons as a whole and how you want to peak at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even talking to Coach Ricketts, she said, it's not about how we start, it's how we finish. And one of the things that the selection committee looks at, uh, along with a, a, a ton of other things as far as postseason seedings, is how are you playing in your last 10 games? You want to be playing your best ball of the season in those last 10 games. And I think that Mississippi State is a team that's doing that. I think Alabama is a team that's doing that. Uh, I, I think that people have the common misconception that if you lose one game in the preseason, it's totally just going to ruin your entire season. And I mean, it's February. We've got a long way to go. And these teams are still trying to figure out who they are, what works best, what pitching rotations work, what lineups work. So to me, if somebody has a bad loss in February or March, like I'm not worrying about that. Um, I like to see what the teams are doing at the end of the year, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, when you look at even going to the World Series or winning the World Series, it's not necessarily who on paper is the best team, but it's who's playing the best softball at that time. So I think those are some of the reasons why, hey, we need to start paying attention to those teams that are on these winning streaks here towards the end of the season. I think some of us here in the SEC, we get on, we kind of get the football mentality of one loss that this destroys the year, uh, which is, it's not the case. We play a lot of games in softball. So you, you got, you can, you can take, you can take everything with a grain of salt, have some rest. Six, 12, not very comparable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, also, as a Tennessee football fan, we are loose, used to losing more than one game a season. Uh, so I will say, hopefully, with the new coaching staff, we're trending in the right direction with that. But it's been a tough couple of years as a Tennessee uh, uh, Volunteers football fan. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, I, she, I, she did it for me. To go ahead and put myself out there. <laughs> we appreciate the honesty as Madison Shipman joins us here. Resteering second on the Out of the Box podcast. Madison, on rally cap, as we move to the SEC tournament, you picked Alabama to win this tournament. Why? Well, I think it's some of the reasons that I've said before. Just I like the way that they're playing. I, I like that they know who they are as a team. Um, and Bailey Hemphill is absolutely incredible. And I know that we've talked about it before, but Pat Murphy has said that she has an unslumpable swing, and I think that's totally true. Uh, she's somebody that has hit with more consistency this year than I think she has in previous years. And the stat that stuck out to me when you just look at her SEC-only stats was not just how high her batting average was, but how high her RBI production was. I think she ended up with 25 RBI in SEC play, but also with 27 walks. So she is taking advantage of the few pitches that she actually does see, and she's being productive with them. And I think as a batter, when you know that, pitch, that teams are going to pitch around you, it can kind of crush you sometimes because you want to swing outside of the zone. You want to try to force something to happen. And I think she's embraced that. If the team's not going to pitch to her, she's like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take my base. But then you look at the rest of the lineup, 
And there's been several times this year where they have gotten on base and they have set the table for Hemphill and it's forcing other teams to have to pitch to her. So I think they're working together to try to, hey, if, if Hemphill's coming up with nobody on base, she might not see any pitches, but hey, you got Kaylee Tao that can get a hit as well. Um, so to me, I really like their offense, how they're working together. And of course, Montana fouts in the circle, like I said, absolutely just a dynamite season for her. And I think that anytime you have her in, in the circle, she's going to give them a chance to win a ball game. Wanted to ask you something that's uh, it's been a topic here the last couple of weeks on the podcast, and uh, we've talked to Bruins and Wildcats about it. So it, we can kind of guess how that went toward the Pac-12 slant. Uh, but now that we have someone from the SEC, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, I made the comment that I think the SEC is the toughest conference to win, uh, hands down, over the Pac-12. Um, the comment was made back, well, if only two teams have won it since 2008, how can it be the worst? Or can it be the, how can it be the toughest? Uh, but I, I just think it's the deepest. So I just wanted to get what your thoughts were. What is the toughest conference in America to win in softball? I, I think it's definitely the SEC. And now... Uh, when I look at the Pac-12, I think maybe statistically and what it's shown, like winning the World Series, they might have the, they might have one or two teams that's maybe better than what we see out of the rest of the SEC. But I think the one through 13 in the SEC is just an absolute gauntlet. And I think when you look at the Pac-12, there might be some teams that you're like, hey, this might be a little bit of an easier weekend um, here or there. Uh, but when you look at the SEC, you literally cannot take a weekend off. I mean, just look at the way that these teams have finished out. I think Ole Miss was preseason picked to finish 13th in the league, and they ended up finishing eighth. And that's under first-year head coach Jamie Traxel. Um, and so that is what we're going to call the bottom of the league, and they are working their way on up. Uh, Mississippi State didn't even win a ball game until their Texas A&M series a couple of weeks ago, and they end up finishing ninth in the SEC somehow. Uh, I just I, I think that top to bottom – the SEC is just so tough. There is never a weekend that you can take off. And I think that when you look at the Pac-12 as a whole, they either have teams that are really, really, really on the top of the spectrum or down at the bottom. So I think because there's not as much in between, you know, teams that are just solid all the way around, I think that's why I would say that the SEC is a tougher conference to win than the Pac-12. I have to throw in the note, the 11th place team also beat Oklahoma. <laughs> hey, there it, that's a, that's like a right there. We all, I'm pretty sure the entire country was tuned into that game on that Tuesday watching. Uh, we can't speak enough to that job that Jaden Fields did coming back after not hitting a home run. And she came through not once, but twice more in that game with clutch RBI. So I think that that, that in itself is just a prime example of just how tough the SEC is day in and day out. South Carolina, the last team in last place by a lot, gave Florida one of their losses. Yeah, yeah it, it gets, that 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 was that was my that was my uh, uh, statement as well. Is that you know there's still a couple of weekends in the Pac-12 where the UCLA's, the Washingtons, and the Arizonas of the world can roll the helmets out there and get a sweep. That's not happening in the SEC anymore. That might have been that even four or five six years ago. That might have still been the case in the SEC, but certainly not right now. Yeah, sweeps are just so hard to come by. And I think that's what makes this win for Florida even more impressive because they had to come into Texas A&M, or I guess it was at Gainesville, but they had to sweep that series. And I think I was one of the few people that actually thought that they were going to sweep them, um, not because getting a sweep isn't tough, but just when I looked at the stats for Texas A&M, I thought that there were a lot of things that went in Florida's favor. One thing that Texas A&M does for them, they, they walk a lot of batters. They, they walked, I think, going into that series, 155 batters on the year and hit 41. 
And we all know that these Florida teams like to take their walks and they like to get hit by pitches. And when you put those people on base and you set the table for somebody like a Julia Cottrell or a Hannah Adams or Jamie Hoover, you can just feel the pieces all coming together for that Florida team. And ultimately they did. And I, one of the things that I think is so funny about that whole moment with Julia Cottrell was in the celebration of that fantastic slide she had into home. There was an, I think it was Jamie Hoover accidentally threw an elbow and chipped her tooth. So in the celebration, she chipped her tooth and then came up and hit that walk-off home run. So I'm sure that every dentist trip is going to be worth it for Julia Cottrell moving forward <laughs> just because of how important that moment was. But I had to make sure that I shared that with you guys, that she did wow. indeed chip a tooth on that play. And, and right after the right after she hit the home run, I flipped it over to, the, uh, to Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And her dad is an assistant coach on Oklahoma State, which I did not realize. Uh, and they were, they showed him say, wait till he finds out what happened at the end of the Florida game. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I am sure that he was just absolutely stoked. And, and that Bedlam series was just yeah. crazy. I mean, back and forth all game long. And even there, I mean, Oklahoma State taking one, there was a point in the season where we didn't think Oklahoma was even going to lose a game. And I think that Georgia beating them was kind of an eye opener for the rest of the nation. Like, Hey, they can be beat, not very often, but Hey, they can be beat. And that Oklahoma state team went in there. Coach Kenny Gajewski's done a great job. Somebody of course with sec ties being at Florida for so long. Um, but I think he gets that team fired up and we saw exactly that this weekend. I think that's a great point. And I do want to get back to the sec tournament, but I mean, we have to talk a little bit about Bedlam because yeah. I think you're right. I, I was texting Amanda Scarborough after I think the second game and my exact text was Oklahoma isn't terrifying anymore. It seems like the formula is there. They're going to get theirs. They're going to get a couple home runs. It might be two. It might be a solo. It, you might give up one. There's a three run shot. That's going to happen. But overall, I think it's, it's more, I think there's more evidence that suggests that teams can limit them than there was a couple months ago. And also that pitching staff could be more of a liability than I think anybody realized earlier in the season. Yeah, I think that teams were going into those games just looking at the numbers and kind of being a little bit overwhelmed, knowing that they were going against Oklahoma and how good they are. And you have hitters like Tiara Jennings and Jocelyn Allo just putting up these insane numbers offensively. And I think teams maybe paid a lot more attention to the offense and how do we stop them rather than how do we score runs mm -hmm. off of uh, G. Juarez. And I think that we have seen teams take advantage of that. Now, Oklahoma, of course, they, they battled. I mean, they were fiery. I, that was one of the few times that I've seen softball this whole season where you could just feel the emotions just pouring through the television screen. And I was getting fired up just watching it. Um, but I think, I think your point is exactly right. I think that they, they can be beaten, um, but they are very well coached. And I know that Patty Gasso is going to work trying to figure out, hey, cause she sees exactly what everybody else is seeing. So she is working to figure out, Hey, how can we uh, maybe fine tune some of our weaknesses and still be able to come out on top. And they were able to do that in that series. With some of the numbers, RPI-wise, uh, the strength of schedule, things like that for Oklahoma, again, the, the Big 12 giving them the resistance of a wet paper, paper bag for most of the, most of the season. Uh, do you see a scenario where a Florida or an Alabama or an Arkansas may be able to leap ahead of Oklahoma and get a two seed in the NCAA tournament ahead of the Sooners? I think – 
I think what I think what's going to be tough for that is going to be the overall record for the Sooners is going to be uh, I, I think that at some point it doesn't matter who you're playing but to win that many games is impressive and um, I mean we even we joked about it a couple of minutes ago it's like you know you're going to lose a game in February well Oklahoma didn't lose a game yeah. in February they didn't lose a game in March Right. Um, so again, we're talking, is anybody going to beat them because they're putting up 18 runs in a single inning? Um, so I think that because they have that ability, that's where in my mind, I still think that when you look top to bottom, statistically, the way that they've played and the way that they were able to bounce back this weekend against Bedlam, because you're right, I thought that that Texas series was going to be more of a fight and it really just wasn't. Um, so I think for them, this was a good weekend to springboard off of going into the postseason because they were battle tested and they had to grind it out and they had to figure out a way to win. And that's a key component to me when I'm looking at a lot of these teams in championship experience is figuring out a way to win ball games and not tightening up in those situations. And that's a program that does it year in and year out. Madison Shipman joining us here on the out of the box podcast as we steal second. All right. Transitioning back fully into the sec tournament of the top four seeds who is in the most danger for an early exit on Thursday night? Ooh, top four seeds for early exit. Um, is anyone? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm looking at my handy dandy uh, bracket right now, and I'm taking a look. And so when I look at Florida, they're playing the matchup between Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and we saw what what Florida was able to do against Texas A&M this past weekend. So I don't necessarily think that they're in danger. Uh, I will say, you know, maybe, maybe the one that might be in quote unquote danger might be Missouri. Um, not necessarily because they've done anything that would make me think that, but I think LSU is a team that's starting to trend in the right direction. And when you think about RPI and strength of schedule, LSU has played one of the toughest schedules in the entire nation. I mean, they ran through the gauntlet right there at the beginning of the season um, I think they have more games against top 25 opponents than maybe anybody else in the country. Um, so I think that they're kind of a battle-tested team. Now, when you look at their overall record, I believe that they have 18 losses. I think that's where you kind of look back and you go, really, is this, is this LSU team legit? But I think that they are. Um, and I think that they are a team that is working in the right direction. When they can get Aaliyah Andrews hitting consistently, which we know that she can do, and you set the tone for somebody like a Taylor Pleasance to come through like she did the other night, uh, I think they're an offense that has a good mix of speed and power. And if they're able to utilize that against Missouri, who is more known for their batting rather than their pitching in the circle, I think that that might be a game where, um, now granted, they have to get through the winner of Auburn in South Carolina, but that one, to me, on my radar, uh, if LSU were to win that first game, would be where Missouri might be in a little bit of danger. A possible matchup for Alabama on Thursday would be Kentucky if they're able to beat Georgia. Uh, I've nicknamed them the Enigmas. I've never been able to figure out Kentucky. Um, have you been able to figure out Kentucky? What, what, what are they doing? I have not. I, I, okay, I, good. I look at that team, and I think it's because some weekends their pitching is lights out. Other weekends they're giving up a bunch of home runs, and I think that that's where the Enigma comes in. I think that they have a fairly consistent lineup. Now, they're a team that's had to deal with some injuries as well. I think they're back to kind of being fully healthy now towards the end of the season. Um, but I think it all starts in the pitcher circle for them and the consistency that they need to get. Uh, they, I think they get it for the most part out of Autumn Humes, but it's looking at the rest of the staff, uh, specifically at Grace Ballman, I, I think. And I think it's so important to have that strong number two in your staff when you're going up against these tough SEC opponents because, hey, there might be games where you can only throw them one time through the lineup and then you've got to switch it. 
because they're starting to get a beat on it towards the the eight and nine hitters. So I think that's where Kentucky is an enigma in my mind. And you never know what you're going to get just purely because of their pitching staff. Because we know Kayla Kowalik's going to get a hit, what, one out of every two at-bats she's going to be on base. So she's proven that all season long. <laughs> we try and figure out Kentucky and we just come up empty every single weekend. Maybe this week we'll provide some more clarity as Madison Shipman joins us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Madison, before we let you go, because we know you've got a big day tomorrow. The SEC tournament officially kicks off on Tuesday. What is the one thing you're really excited to see this week in Tuscaloosa? Ooh, one thing I'm really looking forward to. Honestly, I am looking forward to one. I got to see most people in person today, even though it was masked up. So I think that that was something that was really exciting to me. We've done all these games virtually, but actually getting to attend a softball game in person with a, a giant crowd to me is something that I am definitely looking forward to that I haven't gotten to do a bunch this season. I just, because of the nature of my schedule. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing a packed or as much as they could be packed Rose house uh, this, this entire weekend. And especially for when Alabama comes out on the field, I know what it's like to play against that Alabama crowd. So I am just happy that I am going to be watching everybody play against that Alabama crowd and uh, not actually having to be out there on the field battling against it. Well, I can promise you, even at 50%, Emily Petek is still very loud. <laughs> she is definitely going to be yelling for all of us to look at her socks. And uh, she got Raven Siobhan to look at her socks one year when we were out here. And I was giving Raven a hard time. I was like, man, you just played right into her game. You looked at her socks. She's like, I couldn't help myself. So, yes, that is uh, ingrained in my brain from playing shortstop and her over there yelling to look at her, her very festive Alabama socks. Say, <laughs> and you're worried about the socks. And then here comes the Alabama pitchers. And what? Exactly. Oh, shoot. I forgot. We got, oh. We're supposed to get a hit. All part of the strategy. <laughs> well, it's going to be a great week. We're so excited to see you, Madison. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So that was Madison Shipman. Now, Tom, Selection Sunday is six days away as we record. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's amazing. It's Christmas. Ready for Christmas. Let's go. Let's give us the brackets now. I was so ready to fill out brackets. I went ahead and filled out five conference tournament brackets yesterday. Just for fun. Wow. Yeah. Just what jeez shocker i've got mac leonard and illinois state winning the missouri valley conference tournament but you know who's surprised yesterday was mother's day what what, what, what were you doing hanging out with mama robin robertson we did that earlier we y'all oh, okay. dinner we do lunch <laughs> all right all right don't worry i i also like spent time with the family and whatnot <laughs> well wait 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 until you have in-laws because that that's when it that's when it becomes a whole day a whole day thing Oh, Lord. Well, before we get to that, let's round third, because I've got bracketology. Coming up on the other side, my top 16, there's been some movement. And am I buying into the Michigan thing? Maybe. Find out when you get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. I can feel the level of my voice slowly fading so we're going to plow through these last couple segments starting off with the rounding third portion of the show where we go into bracketology tom it's a crazy time to try and figure out what the heck the committee is going to do in a year where we really don't know what they're looking at 
all the quote unquote traditional criteria is still there, but how much will the committee actually use that versus the eye test? It's, it's impossible to tell. So literally I am fighting a losing battle right now with this bracketology. Yeah. Usually we're fighting a losing battle because even though we know the criteria, we know the committee is going to do something downright farcical. Uh, but this year, we don't even know what the criteria is. So yeah, this will be fun. This will be fun when it's totally different than anything that we think is going to happen. Uh, I mean, I've been trying to learn lessons from watching what the other committees have done for other sports. It's impossible to tell because those sports don't play as many games. Right. And yeah. And, and again, even in a regular year, uh, the softball and sometimes the baseball to a lesser extent, but softball for sure uh, does their own thing regardless of what happens in the other sports. So we'll, we'll see what happens this year, but I'd like, again, having not, not, you guys haven't heard it yet. I've looked at it. I like what your bracketology looks like. We'll see if that's what happens. Well, here we go. Hold on to your butts. As Samuel L. Jackson said in Jurassic park, here is the seed list. Spoiler alert. It didn't turn out well for him, but yeah. uh, go ahead. The only thing he was holding on to was Laura Dern's shoulder. Number one, <laughs> UCLA, number two, Oklahoma, three, Florida, four, Alabama, five, Arkansas. That top five has remained the same, I think, the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. Six, Oklahoma State, seven, Florida State, eight, Washington, nine, LSU, 10, Arizona State, 11, Missouri, 12, Tennessee, 13, Texas, 14, Clemson, 15, Arizona, 16, Michigan, and the next four out, Oregon, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, and way, way goodbye, Georgia. So, Tom, <laughs> please ask me your questions. What do you have? Uh, I'll ask you uh, the question I asked Madison Shipman. Do you see a scenario where one of those three SEC teams of Florida, Alabama, Arkansas jumps Oklahoma? I see it only if Oklahoma loses a game. If everybody wins out, if Alabama and Florida – Either of them went out and Oklahoma also wins out. I think we see the status quo remain the same. If Oklahoma loses to a, say, you know, Texas or somebody, I haven't looked at what the Big 12 bracket looks like, then I could see a passing. But I think it's all dependent on whether Oklahoma wins out. Arizona State at number 10, they lost a series, one of those series that could be the as we talked about the roll the helmets out, get a sweep type series for the elite teams in the Pac-12, but they lost the series Oklahoma or two to Oregon State. Um, surprised they didn't drop a little bit further than 10th. The Arizona State thing is really interesting. They were helped because Arizona got back into the top 10 of the RPI. So they suddenly went from 0-5 against the RPI top 10 to 3-6. and You know, Arizona State, what's going to hold them back is the road record. There are going to be people that rightfully ask, can this team win on the road? They're four and seven away from home. That's just not good. But I think with the way other teams have trended, and in my opinion, the way some of the other resumes stack up, I think Arizona State is closer to the top eight than a Tennessee or a Texas. Missouri, you could give me – I can make a really good case as to why Missouri should be ahead of Arizona State. Maybe they should be. Maybe I should give it another 20 minutes. But right now I have Arizona State ahead of Missouri. Clemson this weekend wrapped up a regular season ACC championship in their first full season as a softball team. Again, they started in 2020, uh, but as everybody else had their season cut short, 
they did lose one game to Syracuse, but Florida State had that terrible loss to Pittsburgh. Does that is 14 kind of the ceiling for Clemson, or do you think they can get higher? Uh, I think they need to beat Florida State. I think they need to beat Florida State. Zero RPI top 10 wins. They've played just seven top 25 games. Like there are teams with seven wins against the RPI top 25. Clemson's played just seven games. They've played only eight games against the RPI top 50. I think simply put, they've got to go on a run in the ACC tournament and beat Florida State to get a little higher. 14, you know, you could make a really good case to me that they should be ahead of Texas. Maybe they should be. Again, if I took another 20 minutes and stared at the numbers, I might think that. I don't know. That's what I have right now. But uh, I, I just, it's hard for me to jump on board with a team moving any higher than 13, 14, 15, 16 without even playing an RPI top 10 game, let alone getting a win in that position. You mentioned it as you were teasing last segment heading toward this one. Michigan comes in at number 16, but they're kind of like Clemson. They haven't played many people because the Big Tw- the Big Ten decided not to play non-conference games this year. Uh, do you think putting them in at 16 is a just kind of an inclusionary thing, or do you really think that they are that they should that they have warranted this season being ahead of like the Oregon's and and the Georgias of the, of the world? Michigan has absolutely not earned a top 16 seed because how could they? I mean, they were dealt an impossible hand by the Mm -hmm. Big Ten leadership. Tom, you've talked about that on every podcast we have done together, on every podcast we have been interviewed on. uh, Even when the topic wasn't the Big Ten, you brought it up just because (laughs) it's something you feel strongly about. And it's a good point. The Big Ten was screwed over by themselves. So has Michigan earned it? Absolutely not. But have they done what they need to do with the hand they've been dealt? Yes. You look at the three best teams in the Big Ten. Who are they? Michigan, Minnesota, Northwestern. Michigan went 6-2 and two against Minnesota and Northwestern, winning three out of four against both those teams. I also think the one thing I have learned from looking around across the country, the Big Ten has not really been punished by committees in volleyball, in lacrosse, in other sports, golf, tennis, for bad RPIs. So we'll see if that holds firm with softball. I think also the possibility of getting, you know, a Big Ten team, a host site might look good. Uh, I just think there are a lot of factors trending towards Michigan being a top 16 seed than the other way around. So how do the, uh, what do these super regionals look like if everything goes chalk here with these 16 as you have them now so here we go hope you're ready buckle in the supers matchups would be number one ucla number 16 michigan first off just intriguing that Mm -hmm. michigan pitching staff i'd love to see it eight nine washington lsu a lot of purple there's a lot of purple a lot going on there 413 alabama texas i think for alabama you'll love it this is Sign me not up. a good Texas team compared no. to past years. 100%. Sign me up for that. 512 Arkansas, Tennessee. They might play already this week. We'll see when we get to our <laughs> SEC bracket picks. 314 Florida, Clemson. 611 Oklahoma State, Missouri. 710 Florida State, Arizona State. And maybe the juiciest of all, 215 Oklahoma, Arizona. Ooh, that would be interesting. Because Arizona, if everything falls right, they can hit with Oklahoma. 
Arizona is a good team. Now this is also a team that is 11 and 10 on the road this year, but you're right. I mean, if, if they get the bug, look out, yeah. that's a team that could mash their way past Oklahoma. I don't know if the pitching staff is good enough, but you know, Alyssa Denham threw well this past weekend. There, there could be several 13, 11 type games. If, if those two teams matched up in super regionals and uh, I'm, I'm here for that one. Let's make that one happen. Anything else you'd like to know, Tom? It was interesting how last week, when we even went further on out, if everything went chalk as far as the opening round in Oklahoma City, three out of the four were like real regular rivalries. With some shakeups here, doesn't quite work out this way, but still some interesting matchups if everything's chalk in OKC, right? Yeah, uh, I've got one versus eight. UCLA-Washington, which we have seen before in OKC, and we've seen Mm. Mitchell Garcia break Husky hearts. I've got 4-5 Alabama-Arkansas, 3-6 Florida-Oklahoma State. We saw that in the World Series in 2019. And I've got Oklahoma-Florida State 2-7. That'd be very – and Oklahoma State-Florida, the the internal matchup of the Cottrell father – and the Cottrell daughter playing on opposite teams. Yes, and you've got Kenny G with his old boss, Tim Walton. It's it's a whole cornucopia of connections. Right, so yeah, not as not as obvious of, of rivalries as we had before, but still some in, really interesting matchups. So I'd be down with that and, and another chance to see Alabama and Arkansas play, which they're uh, we saw that three times in Fayetteville, and they were all great games. So I would look, I would look forward to that for sure as well. I would just, again, as I said, if I'm Alabama, don't want to play UCLA in the first round in Oklahoma City. Don't want to play Oklahoma in the first round in Oklahoma City. After that, you'll take your. I think you'll take your chances with pretty much anybody. Absolutely. I did want to make one note. One Georgia goodbye. You are not in the mix. I'm sorry. You mm-hmm. you can't get swept like this this many weeks in a row. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> what, one win over one win over Oklahoma will only do so much for you. The only other team not in the list of twenty that you know, could maybe work their way into be a national seed would be Duke. They're now 16 in the RPI. They've got the tournament this week in the ACC. They have some chances to get good wins. If Duke went on a run beating the right teams, I could see it. But all in all, Tom, it does look like the top 20 will be the actual teams being considered. But uh, I, I do feel like the picture is certainly clearing up. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happens as we come toward the end of the year. Like you said, I, I think the how teams are playing at the end of the year is going to be a factor. So these teams that are on winning streaks right now uh, could ride that into getting higher seeds than we were expecting in the postseason. What do you say we, uh, we get ready to head home? How do you feel about that? Yeah, sounds, sounds good to me. Patrick Murphy waving us home because he doesn't give a rip still. No rips given. All the brackets written as we get ready to make our SEC tournament picks. Tom has the lead at the end of the regular season. Can Gray catch up? We'll find out when we get back here on the Out of Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of Box Podcast. Roll down your window, or if you're me, get the blanket, cover yourself up, get the bowl of ramen with like one ice cube in there to make it, you know, not so saucy, settle in on the couch and get ready to head home because Tom, it's time to wrap up episode 36 of the podcast. Looking forward to it. And we also have to, uh, to address the controversy of a certain horse. Oh God. That, that is. To? Which has given Gray a victory, which may not stand. 
may not we may don't not. know yet it is still under further review of the doping up of horses yes so here's a question let's just do this now with medina spirit and his win being put in doubt at the kentucky derby i've heard it could take up to four weeks before the second test results come in really so, wow are we going to have to do an emergency podcast after the season is over to talk about this? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I, we may be able to wrap it up in a, a social media post. I don't know if it'll take a full emergency pod to, uh, to figure this out, but right now I, I will allow it to be considered as a contingent victory for gray holding on with a Bedina spirit. Yes. I mean, technically he is still the Kentucky Derby winner, but it, he is the winner as of right now. Yes. It certainly sounds like he will not be in about four weeks. Odds do not look good. <laughs> it's time to dive into our SEC tournament picks. First off, the regular season is done. Tom finishes with 23. Gray finishes with 20. We both nailed three last week. You got Florida sweeping A&M, LSU 2-1, and Alabama sweeping. I got Missouri 2 out of 3 at Tennessee. LSU two out of three and Alabama sweeping as well. And so here's how we're going to do this. We're going to kind of adopt the model we had in 2019. We're going to start with the quarterfinals, say the matchup we've got written down and then go from there because, you know, that's, that's when the heavy hitters are really going. We're, we're not messing around with the Wednesday and Tuesday games. No, we're diving right into Thursday. So Tom, I will go first. My 11 a.m. game, which by the way, ha ha that the one seed is having to play at 11 a.m. I've got Florida versus Mississippi State, and I do have the Gators winning that one. I think it's going to be tricky. We have seen in the past that Tim Walton, I don't want to say doesn't care, but hasn't thrown all of his chips in early in the SEC tournament. And then if it looks like, you know, they might win it, he'll, he'll go for it. I specifically think of 2019. But I just am not sure Mississippi State has got the pitching talent to shut down Florida for all seven innings, maybe for six, but we know it'll happen in the seventh. So I've got Florida, the one seed winning that game. Yeah, I'm going to, I have the same game. I have Mississippi state beating Ole Miss. So I'm going to go with Florida and Mississippi state as well. And yeah, I kind of, I would not be even shocked if Mississippi state has the lead going into the seventh. Uh, But if they do, we know what it's going to happen. And Florida, Florida will win this one and move forward. I don't expect it to be, a blowout by any stretch. It should be a really close game, uh, but I'm going to go with the Gators. Next up, I've got four Missouri versus the five seed LSU, and I'm taking the fighting Larissa's. I think this is a coin flip, and I went with the team that I trust more offensively. And I think Jordan Weber right now is pitching really well for Missouri. So I've got the Tigers moving on to the semis against Florida. I think a lot of this is going to depend on actually what happens on on Tuesday between Auburn and South Carolina and how the Tigers are able to beat the Gamecocks. I think Auburn is going to win the game, but uh, what they do pitching-wise, that they throw Pensa there in game one and then what happens in in game two. Because I think there is a scenario, uh, like you talked about, I'm not going to pick it either, but there's a scenario where Auburn makes the run and they're playing Missouri here. But I do think it'll end up being LSU. And with that being said, I'm going to pick an upset here and I'm going to go with the LSU Tigers to beat Missouri here. Again, just this seems like an LSU type scenario. I it's one I just it's a feeling I don't really have anything specific to back it up, 
It just seems like this is an LSU type scenario. I think that they know they need to make a run in this in this conference tournament to solidify a spot and, and be where they want to be in postseason. So I think LSU will be able to do it. Come one of those kind of been there before type factors as well. A, a deep and older team with LSU. So that's why I'm going to go with them. Tom, I will say this: I have LSU at nine. I think a run to the championship, maybe just of a championship, could earn LSU a top eight maybe jumping a Washington who has Stanford this weekend, which is not nearly as good a win as Missouri and Florida would be. So we'll see. Yeah. Right draw LSU could work their way into the top eight without even having to win the entire tournament. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to our bottom half of the bracket. I've got number two, Arkansas against number seven, Tennessee. And this is where I step onto the upset platform. I've got Tennessee. I said it on the In the Circle podcast, which you can go check out wherever you listen to In the Circle. I think Ashley Rogers in a single elimination tournament is one of the two best pitchers you have to look out for along with Montana Fouts. And I think when it is single elimination, it's easier for the teams who maybe have to ride a pitcher or just have that much talent in one arm to win early so i've got tennessee beating texas a&m i think they can do it with cali turner but i think they do go with like a mix of rogers and turner and then i think rogers shuts down arkansas first meeting between those two this year i've got tennessee in the semis here again i'm going to differentiate myself from you on this in this pick and one way i'm going to do it they're not going to face ashley rogers oh Texas A&M is going to beat Tennessee in the first game in the uh, in, on Wednesday. Why? Because I think why? Because I think that the weeklies see the same thing that we do as far as Ashley Rogers doesn't seem to get better as as weeks go along the second time through against different teams, and I think they're going to try to pitch somebody other than Rogers. They're going to try to pitch Turner on Wednesday. And AM is going to uh, outscore Tennessee and, and beat the Lady Vols and move forward. And then Arkansas is going to pretty much destroy AM. So we'll go Arkansas. Wow. Okay. How about this one? I've got Alabama versus Kentucky. Alabama has literally never not won a game in the SEC tournament. That's the only reason I need. I'm taking Alabama over Kentucky, a revenge best served in a 3 6 matchup in the SEC tournament. Yes, and again, it's a uh, it's one thing else you brought up in the on the uh, in the circle podcast was this is almost the exact same scenario Alabama had in 2019. Alabama lost to Kentucky a three game series. It was in Tuscaloosa. It was the only difference, but they lost to Kentucky and then had a chance to play Kentucky in the first game that for Alabama in that 2019 tournament. Got the revenge there at home. Yeah. Alabama doesn't lose in the SEC tournament. I'm going to go with the Crimson Tide as well against Kentucky. Let's go to the semis. You've got Florida versus LSU. Tom, please, you fire away. Who do you have in the championship? Uh, I think uh, Florida. It's going to be one of those things where LSU can only ride that momentum so far. Um, They may have to throw multiple pitchers against uh, Missouri to get that victory, and it may be – playing the one extra game that Florida won't have to maybe the difference here. So I'll go with the Gators. I've got Florida over Missouri. It, it's because there is a championship scenario that just feels inevitable. 
and I'm not going to be the one that predicts against that. So I've got Florida over Missouri. And I think with LSU, it's a really good point. It's harder for LSU because I'm not sure who you're throwing at that point because you've already had to beat Auburn, probably a pitcher's duel, right? I mean, Shelby mm-hmm. Lowe versus Sinceri. Kilponen would probably go against Missouri. And then do you throw Sinceri again? Wickersham has not been herself. You could see Gorsuch, I don't know. But I don't think it would be a pitcher I would trust against Florida, a team that already swept LSU pretty handily this year. And I think Florida's just too good for Missouri. So uh, I've got Florida in the championship. Good. Good reasoning. I like them both. Bottom half, you've got Alabama, Arkansas. I have Alabama, Tennessee. Tom, tell me why Alabama will be in the championship. (laughs) Uh, Well, because I think they will use kind of the same strategy they used, especially in game number three, when we did see a really good autumn storms, but Alabama just wore her down. And it, you know, depends on how one, how healthy Autumn Storms is because she hasn't been 100% since that weekend. Um, and then how much, how taxing it is for Mary Half to try to, when, when they, you know, beat either A&M or, or Tennessee uh, to get there. Uh, but that being said, just the way this Alabama offense is rolling right now, they will wear down whichever pitcher they're facing. And I think Alabama can kind of treat this as a three-game series. You know, you throw, um, you can throw Montana game one, Hopefully a healthy Kilfoil here in this situation uh, mixed in with the Montana in relief and then and then Montana championship game. So I'm going to go with Alabama over Arkansas here. I've got Alabama over Tennessee. I think the best thing that works out in Alabama's favor will be the fact that Tennessee will have already had to play two games. For Tennessee to win, they would need a fully ready to go Ashley Rodgers, and that's not going to happen because she will have had to throw the day before to beat Arkansas. So I've got Tennessee uh, falling to Alabama. I also think the pitching note is interesting. If, say, it is Alabama-Arkansas in the semifinals, Arkansas hasn't really seen healthy Lexi Kilfoyle. I think now we know there is an explanation, more or less, for why Kilfoyle's misses were right down the middle of the plate. And it was because she was dealing with this injury thing. And it impacted her. And mm-hmm. Arkansas has not seen her at 100%. And should she be there, the Hogs might be in for a rude awakening. Yeah, because, I mean, that's – I think Lexi Kilfoyle is kind of the X factor for Alabama overall in general in this postseason because I think people may have forgotten about her, may not be, you know, thinking about what she can do in the circle, and it's not just going to be the 100% Montana Fout show postseason-wise for Alabama. And then, you know, in addition to that, and maybe a little bit of, of hitting as well for, for Lexi. So uh, I think that, that could be the difference. All right. Our championships are the same, Tom. Florida, Alabama, a win for the Crimson Tide would even the season series of Florida, but most importantly would win the SEC tournament, which apparently is all that ever matters to the NCAA selection committee. It would be yes. a replay of a 2019 tournament. Tom, what do you think? Well, as it being a replay of that 2019 championship game, I would point out the reason why Florida won that game will be in the first base coaching box and not in the lineup, and that being Amanda Lorenz. Um, I, Florida, we talked about it. They, they're a really great team. They don't have that one just superstar outstanding player. Obviously, they're all really good players. 
but they, they don't have the, that that one player of the year type nominee type player. Um, Pan Adams has been great. Charlie Eccles has been great. Lindemann has had some really big hits. But I think Alabama, they, just the star factor, the Bailey Hemphill factor might be the difference. And Montana Fouts in the circle. Um, I, I foresee Alabama wanting to defend the home, the home stadium. This is now an SEC tournament. Alabama has been planning on hosting for two seasons. Um, and and I, I really see Alabama not – they will find a way to win this tournament at, uh, at the Rhodes House. Absolutely. I feel like there is a disrespect that will be felt. Somebody's going to get robbed of an award. Mm. Somebody mm. is. I, I just – I would love for it to happen. I don't see a world where every Alabama player who is deserving gets everything they deserve this year, whether it be – you know, some outfielders on the first team, which I think all three make a lot of sense. First sure. team all SEC, Savannah Woodard for something. I mean, there are a lot of people who should get things and not everyone's going to get it because that's just how this world works. So somebody is going to step up and prove people wrong. And I think one of those people is going to be Montana Fouts because if our predictions are right and Mary Half does win SEC Pitcher of the Year, I hope that pisses her off and she comes out with her hair on fire and just blows everybody away, Kelly Barnhill style, in the 2019 SEC tournament. And I think she can and I think she will. Alabama plays at their best when people don't believe in them. And we have seen when their backs are against the wall, Alabama respond better than most teams have across the country i think alabama will answer the call this week and win the sec tournament you can make the argument this team is better than the 2019 team was so we i i think this team knows that they're playing their best softball right now and uh, we'll have to continue that momentum all weekend long all week long here in tuscaloosa so those are our sec tournament picks tom i feel really good about it most importantly i'm excited that we get to be there in venue mm -hmm. we're outside i have no idea what it's going to look like but we're there so that's all that matters exactly we will be there we'll figure it out alabama's supposed to play sometime around 6 30 on thursday we will see sometime around please we are starting at 7 15 at the earliest <laughs> it, the the question will be are we going to be close enough to being on time where we can pontificate long enough where we can just start on time and keep going or are we going to be literally so late that we will have to send it back to our affiliates at 6.30? And now we're going to do something not on the rundown. We're going to build the starter kit. For those coming to Tuscaloosa for the SEC tournament, you're probably wondering, where do I go? What do I do? You know, I, I just, I'm an Arkansas fan and I'm getting to town Tuesday night. What do I want to do on Wednesday before I go see Tennessee A&M to find out who my team is playing? Well, you can go watch softball or... You can go do some of the things we're going to suggest. So, Tom, where should we start? Food-wise, breakfast. Uh, the City Cafe has an outstanding breakfast. Uh, Waysider is a is one of those that you know everyone tries to get to breakfast-wise. And they went what, I'll throw is Babes there, in there. Babes, yes, Babes, babes is very good, is which is downtown. That, that should handle everyone breakfast-wise, I think. Yeah. No, we're not here for a week. It's just like four days. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lunch wise, Tom, what do you think? Well, I mean, there's always the, you know, the Tuscaloosa, you could hear, you hear about Dreamland. If you've never been to Dreamland, you should go to Dreamland. Uh, but uh, a lot of people will tell you that they like the ribs at Archibald's just as good. And that's another thing. Don't, don't expect that that's gonna, not going to be a sit down meal because 
it's just a shack but you go and you pick them up and it is really good stuff uh so archibalds if you're in in, in the mood for ribs uh Baumhauer's obviously has great wings and, and they have other stuff too if you're not a wings person uh but that's a, kind of a tuscaloosa staple southern l house is really good uh actually ate there today uh they got yeah they have biscuit sandwiches and general chicken and, and other things like that they're, they're outstanding i'll throw heat pizza in there for lunch and dinner no our best pizza is not chuck e cheese you've all been bamboozled our best pizza in my opinion is heat i think it's yeah. phenomenal i suggest going there there are other good pizza places as well but heat i think is the best option uh, also if you want something a little you know a little foncia five chucks all good. I am a huge half shell oyster house fan. Like it was, it was my consistent go-to for birthday lunches when I was in college at Alabama, a lot of good places downtown, a lot of good mm-hmm. options for all of you folks. Yeah. De Palma's is another Tuscaloosa, uh, staple. That's a really good Italian place. They got good pizza. Mellow mushroom is not a specific to just Tuscaloosa. They have those everywhere, but uh, the mellow mushroom in Tuscaloosa is really good too. If you're looking for that, and another one, um, it not not pizza wise, but uh, really good Greek food, uh, hooligans, uh, and they they don't they used to have a uh, location on University Boulevard that's closed, but now they have one on 15th Street, uh, which is just off campus. It, it's right there, uh, so I, I would recommend that as well. Yeah. And if you're staying downtown, you can walk to a lot of these places as well. So that'll make it easy. Mm-hmm. Innisfree, rooftop bars at Hotel Indigo, uh, the Houndstooth, Sessions, lots of great places to stop by. So, you know, just just come and enjoy. Like you said, Tom, a lot you can do in Tuscaloosa, you know, immerse and, yourself in the experience. And one positive, if you're a little bit older like myself, is the students for the most part are gone. The, 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 you know, the, the school year is over. There's a there's a few of them here doing summer summer school and you know the the short session type things but you know you you're not going to be bombarded if you go out for the most part. That is our starter kit for the SEC tournament Tuscaloosa. Anything else you'd like to add? Be uh, open to going to Northport and Tuscaloosa. You know if it's not necessarily on campus, there's a lot more stuff that's not just on campus. Uh, so you know be be. It's not, it's not, you just go over the river. So it's not, it's not a long drive at all. If, if something comes up, not in Tuscaloosa, but it says Northport, that's not, that's not far. Yeah. My word of advice, if it's after midnight or after like 10 o'clock, I don't know how long it's open actually, but if it's still open, go try Taco Casa. Oh I yeah. Enjoy it. And uh, it's Sweet not available tea. wherever you are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Taco Casa is outstanding. And it's that, that is like, it is a, uh, it's basically a local Taco Bell, but it's better than Taco Bell is. Yeah. So, and, and the sweet tea is amazing. We've got one in Birmingham. I don't know why, but it's here and I go often. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Okay. It's SEC tournament week. Whew, we are going to be out amongst the people. I'm excited, Tom. Are you ready? I'm ready. I mean, you know, we, we joke about being kicked out of our booth from the ESPN people. We understand it. We were we were not bitter about it. We're really not. It's, it's one of those things. We you know it's a it's a one time thing. It's a protocol issue. We are so glad that the SEC and 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 the ESPN and the SEC network understands how big of a deal this tournament is and that that they want to cover it. Uh, so I hope they enjoy our booth. We will enjoy being on the first base concourse and uh, and get a little bit of a different view than what we're used to at the Rhodes house, but in a way we'll kind of be more immersed in what's actually happening. So it'll be a lot of fun. 
it's going to be a very unique experience, something we've never really done before. And we've been amongst the people, but not at home, not with Alabama fans. So I'm really excited, actually. (laughs) I'm hoping, you know, next year, if everything, you know, when everything's as close to back to normal as it probably will ever be, we will be able to bring back the the party deck out in left field because I want to broadcast a game from out in left field. I want that to happen at some point. I'm here for it. That does mean with us being amongst the people, we've got crap. We want to give it to you. Stickers, koozies, shirts. Just come by, say hello. Um, just make sure it's when we're not on the air. It's my yeah. only request. That's, yeah. And, and everyone's been real good about that this year. So we appreciate yeah. that. We absolutely do. Tom, we're going to be posting pictures. We're going to be posting opinions and tweets. Where can the people find you on the Twitter? Find me on the Twitter at TCanterburyRTR. And uh, yeah, posting all the stuff from the from SEC softball tournament this week, and a lot of fun to uh, to just interact and talk with the people. So follow me at T Canterbury RTR, and you can follow me at Gray G R A Y underscore Robertson. Apparently, I tweet controversial things. The other night, I was accused of being both biased and disloyal. So I don't even really know what's going on. Either way. I am so excited for this week. Uh, just to put things on a personal perspective, this has been a really, really difficult week for a lot of reasons for me. And softball has been the thing I've looked forward to most. And so this week to be able to come to Tuscaloosa, I'm going to be staying at a friend's house the entire week. So it's easy access to roads and all the games. I'm coming to as many games as I possibly can. I'm going to get to see and hug Jen Schroeder this week. We'll see if it leads to a fight between Jen and Tom, but overall I am just so excited about the fact that this tournament is coming and it's something I've looked forward to for years. I know you feel the same way, Tom, Alabama, the team, the coaches, the program, the fans, they all feel the same way. We are just so honored and excited that this event is coming to the Rhodes house this week. And I just, I'm speechless. I can't like, can it start right now? I know as you listen, it'll start in like a couple hours with Auburn, (laughs) South Carolina, but as we record, we've got another day and that's almost too long to have to wait, Tom. Yeah. uh, Like, like I said, this team, this program has been ready to host this tournament for almost two years now. Um, after everything that happened in 2020, something to look forward to. We've been looking forward to it, and it's going to be so much fun. Um, when Alabama's playing, when Alabama's not playing, it's going to be the best softball you're going to see all week long, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be quite quite the overall event. We're going to talk about it on the air, Tom. So if the people want to hear it, where can they find us? You can find us again for Alabama's games if you're listening here in Tuscaloosa over the air, 93.3 FM. Uh, You can get it streaming at praise933.com as well as the Praise app. And we're also available on TuneIn and on SiriusXM. Just search for Alabama and or softball and uh, you will will hit up against us at some point. And as always, you can just go to the rollside.com, the Alabama softball schedule page. There's links to live video, live audio, live stats right there. So literally all you have to do is push the button. That's it. That's it. it. All right. That's it for this episode to our dear friend, Madison Shipman. What a delight as always. Thank you so much for hopping on Tom. I cannot wait 
to see our friends. I've been talking to Bro, Scarborough, Tara Henry, Jen, JDH, even though she's not even coming, Michelle Smith. Like, we're all so excited to actually get to see each other again. I know you feel the same way. It's going to be like a big old reunion in Tuscaloosa. We're going to see all the coaches we talk to in the offseason. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, so hope a couple of the coaches maybe haven't been listening since then. Uh, but yeah, so but I appreciate <laughs> appreciate them coming on with us during media days. And yeah, well, I'm really forward to seeing everybody, even if it's just a a wave and a smile from socially distanced vantage points. But we will uh, we will see everybody, and uh, and it's a great reunion, a great softball convention here uh, of all the greats. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. And we can't wait to see you, the fan, the listener at the Rhodes House as well. If you're not an Alabama fan and you're coming by, you need some help, let us know. We would be glad to, you know, chat you up and point out the places to go if you still want more suggestions after listening to this podcast. Or if you want to just come by and say hello. We don't discriminate against fan bases. We give koozies to everybody. Our koozies are black. They don't have any team colors on it. We just toss them out to whoever wants them. Right. We don't discriminate as far as that goes. Sometimes on the podcast we do. That's okay. <laughs> or at least I do. But that's, you know, that's that's podcast politicking. We're talking for <laughs> real life, Tom. <laughs> right. Exactly. Either way, the SEC tournament starts this week. We can't wait. We're so pumped. We're glad you, all of you are going to be with us. And we, uh, we can't wait to get it going. It's the most important time of the year. It just gets more important as we go forward. And it's going to be so much fun to continue on with this journey here in 2021. From our partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long for the Out of the Box podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Uh-huh.